Hello everyone, this is part two of our delightful episode with wonderful screenwriter Russell T Davies. We're talking about his amazing new drama series, It's a Sin. All episodes are available to binge watch now on all four, or you can watch it on Channel 4. You will not regret it. If you haven't listened to part one, stop right now. Thank you very much, as the Spice Girls say, and head over to your feed and click on part one first. If you are here for part two, I'll shut up and you can listen to the rest of our chat. Again, this does include some frank discussions with strong language. So sue me. Your lead character, who is played by Ollie from years and years, who is Hooray for Ollie. extraordinary and just the whole lot of them Isn't need he? to clear some space on the mantelpiece, if there's any left. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cast by Andy Pryor, who does everything with me, does, ah, he does Doctor yes. Who, does everything, and, and his team, Re and everyone. Um, brilliant, brilliant people. Yeah. And um, search long and hard. And all gay is gay. Gay is gay casting. Absolutely. Oh, yes. All gay. I think, gay. I think we must have there 40 gay speaking parts in this. And every single gay character is played by a gay person, except oh. for the straight man who, the gay man who, the straight man who's secretly having, he's straight. Um, but, and also some straight parts played by gay people. Gay, 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 gay. Yeah. Gay. Well, by the way, gay. Hello. Hello, <laughs> 2021. See, we said it might be a little bit better, but Ollie's character, Richie Tozer, I thought was an incredibly brave or or brilliant and great decision to make him very conflicted about his uh, many yes. things. Actually, you know, he he's, yeah. he's the first person to say this disease isn't real, right? Yeah. One of the first. Yeah. Um, yeah. He denied it. He's all denial. He's and yet and yet he's the most honest person at the same time. He's a good character, frankly. He's he's that character that just turns in the light and there are different aspects to him and he captures it brilliantly. What a what a performance. Yeah. I mean, Richie can be monstrous at times and do terrible things mm. and yet you love him. Um because he does monstrous things for very good reasons. And he's fun and he's the life and centre of every party. Um we've all had friends like that. Mm. Some of us are that. We can all be that at some time in our lives. We can. Yes. Every single one of us can be that person yes and and ollie is just the most extraordinary i mean you know you've seen him he's an extraordinary human being when he stood up at glastonbury and made that speech about being gay that was you know pivotal moment extraordinary moment in culture for him to do that um yeah and he's like that with his work you know he was trained as an actor i didn't know that when we met him but he trained properly as an actor and seriously one of the options of his life because he's so good at it i mean once it hits you know, I think you might watch it, you might see him larking about in episode one and go, okay, that, that's Richie. You know, as you know, once you hit episodes four and five, it really blossoms into something absolutely extreme. Mm. It's a privilege to work with him. Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of those actors who can just relay something without even moving their eyes, but it's in the eyes. It's just this kind mm. of ripple goes through the eyes that, that suddenly undercuts what they just said or, you know. Yeah. Yes. It's absolute truth with him. With all of them. They're all, we're very lucky with that cast. Mm. And they really got on. It was a lovely shoot. It was such a laugh and you walk into that pink palace and they'd all be there. And it's like, and then there, some of the deaths were shocking to film. Really, really heartbreaking. There's a sort of theme that people say when they film very sad or very tragic things that actually the shoots, the making of them can be quite pleasant. And I wonder if that's... Yes, and comedy's hard. Yeah, <laughs> No one's laughing on a comedy set because you've got to get the jokes right and that's tough. Yeah. I do think that's true. Yes, yes, yes. And I also think there's... They really are an extraordinary bunch, those five. There's six as well. There's David Carlyle who plays Gregory, who's the, the one who's in episode two a lot. Um they are extraordinary people. It's like you know, if we'd been shooting a comedy or a drama, you'd have gone on set and loved them. There's a real mm. 
buzz about them. And do you know, as young people, they seriously took on board the implications of the script, the politics to stand here now doing interviews, talking yes. about AIDS activism and the rights of gay people. And it's not fair for all actors to have to do that. I always think that's yeah. very tough. You know, an actor comes out and it's like, you know, hello, I'm playing a gay in Emmerdale. And suddenly they're being asked, what about gay rights? What about gay rights in Guatemala? What about gays being thrown off buildings in the Middle East? What, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Mm. It's, they're just an actor, you know? It's not, they're not, they don't have to represent every single thing you're worried about. It's really tough. No, and it's a lack of numbers of people who who represent therefore they're asked to represent everybody yes. and i remember you saying yes, that about yes, yes. when you wrote queer as folk that people were cross that the gay characters you wrote weren't their gay experience yes 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 and they will be with this it's like you know there's still so much anger about what happened mm. about aids in in this country over, over you know i've compressed it into the 80s but actually it was the 80s 90s 2000s still going on in some in some senses that there's so much anger out there i think there will also be a very angry response to this people people who were there would be saying what about this what about that mm. what about that and it is true i could have written 100 episodes i wish they'd wanted 100 episodes then i'd have a job for life but <laughs> um <laughs> just be sitting there churning it out now yes. but um you know what about women with aids mm. all very good arguments you know but um that's not how to make a drama you can't make dramas about everyone you have to make dramas about something specific that speaks to everyone yeah and did you feel like you wanted to tell your story because i know you, you your sort of route in ended up being yes I, w- I wanted to tell i wanted to tell specifically the gay male experience that was my i mean i'm very lucky i don't have hiv but with my friends and those i lost that's the experience i went through mm. so and i'm also very aware that it's a very strange thing how little that's been told that there are from the moment this series was announced there were people rolling their eyes as though they'd seen it before. Right. And uh, I could be honest, there were commissioners rolling their eyes. This wasn't an easy commission. Wow. Not by far. I first started talking about this in 2015. It's taken six years to get on screen. Mm. That's not bad. Some people wait 60 years, but mm. it's a long time. And there was a certain amount of people going, oh, that really? As though it's been seen. And actually, you've seen it as a subplot in things. You've seen American stories yes. uh, with it. You know, it ticks away in films like Pride. Pride is a brilliant piece of work. Yeah. I love that film. Me too. My God, that's a great script. It's not actually about AIDS. It's mm. about the gays and the minors. So AIDS in Britain. You think you've seen it on television. And actually, you haven't. Wow. Strange, isn't it? It yeah. is strange yeah, yeah. because, uh, you know, I was thinking about how, yeah, it's, it's, it's the American stories that are the seminal ones, isn't it? You know? Yes. And that we are just so used to absorbing American culture and thinking it's our own, and actually it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's also an interesting thing happened with AIDS. It was, was that two of the greatest plays ever written were written very quickly about AIDS. They came out very, very early in the whole pandemic. Mm. And actually, everything exists in their shadow. You couldn't have finer plays. You couldn't, I mean, the, I know the Normal Hearts going back at the National yes. this year, and Angels in America was revived there two years ago, three years ago, mm. with Russell Tovey, and, and it was an amazing piece of work, and um, Tony Kushner's play. Um, so actually, in some senses, we've sat in the shadow of that. In some senses, you can just shrug and go, well, actually, the best plays have been written. Fine. Yes. <laughs> Let them be revived every so often. But actually, and I, and it, partly that ticked away in my head, but until I came to realise, actually, no, I have got things to say. And there are things not said in that. It, it, it's a sin. I think one of its a sin's seminal moments is that episode two, Bit that's it's now a clip. It's, it's it's on the internet now. It's um that clip of Richie denying the existence of AIDS. Mm. I hadn't seen that in anything. You know, I had to find gaps. I had to find stuff that hadn't been written, that hadn't been said. Yes, and to find a way of expressing that. And as it goes on, there's darker stuff that I thought hadn't been said and hadn't been drama stories or hadn't been forgiven that I wanted to write about. So um 
yeah, I had to find I found my own space. And you certainly did, and it's an incredibly original take that um oh, it's you. full of love and joy actually, plus a lot of sadness, mm. you know, it's, it's it's annoying when people try and hide that shit, but like it's you know, it's full of love in all its beautiful forms and I hope so, because that's the point. They were loved these boys, someone loved everyone. Exactly. And yeah. and, and did and there's a, there's a moment in it where someone says it's very interesting and very specific to the queer experience, which is that back then people knew that you were gay. Mm. If, if, you know, if you're like, uh, if you're, you're like a young 21 year old and you go out in town and whatever, people know you're gay. But the people who don't know the real you are the people who are actually the ones who are your family, your closest. Yes, yes, and yes, it's yes. it's such a weird... Yeah thing that these people who yes. are your world actually don't know the real you and it reminded me of this thing about how i remember making a decision when i was like 21 although having just said i wouldn't talk to my mother about porn but when i was 21 of like <laughs> I, and i remember saying it to my mum, i was like i'm gonna tell you about me because there's this thing that happens where you can just divide and you just stop telling them stuff and then suddenly they don't really know you by the time you're 45 mm. you kind of just you just do glib pleasantries but actually i'm gonna tell you my shit because I want yeah. to know you, and that might be harder, but let's put... And we should. No, we should. We should. Because actually, it's like, having said it's a series about love, and what you're kind of talking about there, without spoilers, is what happens in episode five, where there is a lovelessness, actually, mm. for a lovely series that I hope is full of love. It gets really tough in the last episodes, but I aim for those mystifying people, those mystifying people who, faced with gayness and faced with HIV, have no love mm. which i find extraordinary i've been wanting to write that for decades for absolutely decades and yes. uh, yeah, the last episode is tough as hell mm. but wonderful i think we can also all relate to that that like the secrecy and the the, the mm. walls we put up of a veneer of politeness that we're not going to say certain things like have i ever had a conversation with my mother about anal sex for example no i never will <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> nor do we need to like you know but um it's just you know that it's the veneer of that that is very true to the queer experience whether you've suffered from aids or anything you know it's it's not you don't yeah. have to have suffered from aids or you don't have to be gay you don't have to you know we yeah. all know that and it's and it is it's actually a real shame that we have that in our mm. lives but i wanted to ask you about how one approaches the concept of guilt about that time and how you were unable to talk to some you know, there's a lot of secrecy around what happened to people's friends around that mm. time. And and and, mm. and I, I read a thing where you had expressed some guilt about that, which I think is mm. exceptionally honest and to be applauded. But also, I would challenge that in some respects, because I think we were all, like we were just saying, we were kind of all just doing our best at the time. Yes, yes. I mean, that's, that's life, isn't it? You automatically tell yourself off it's very strange i'm trying a friend of mine's mother has just died and i'm trying to tell her that you will now think of all the bad things you said mm. and you will now remember everything that went wrong and the times you wished you'd done this and that they will line up like an endless traffic jam in your head and it's why do we do that mm. why? why 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 when my husband was ill I was marvellous, frankly. I was impeccably marvellous to him. And it's like, and in his final days, there was one day where I was late getting to the hospital. Mm. I was arranging palliative care for him to come home. And that, so I was late because I was waiting for his hospital bed to be delivered. Yes. So he could come home to die. So I was late. I was late getting to the hospital to see him. And as I walked in, he rolled his eyes. Because I was late, he went, mm, like that. 
Now, what's the one thing I remember about him? Oh. Him rolling his fucking eyes as I walked. And it's bizarre. And I have a word to myself. So they go, I'm so stupid. You were happy for 20 yeah. years. And you keep remembering one day. But why does the brain do that? I think it's some sort of survival instinct. That, you know, when we were Stone Age men, it said, don't go near that cave. Roll your eyes. That's a bad cave. Don't go there. I totally agree. And so, you know, you train yourself not to do those things again. But as a result, your mind preys on them ridiculously so. And so, yeah, so add, look at this, look at the decades of things you wish you'd said. And mm. uh, you know, this is far more than I roll. This is, my God, people dying in horror and terror and the things you never said to their parents. It was, it was, it was a couple of years ago that I found myself with the father of someone who died. And I'd never said, I was so sorry. I'd never wrote them a letter. Do you know, mm. I didn't write them a letter because I was like 25 and embarrassed. And, and actually, I didn't know if the parents knew how he died. Mm. I didn't know what to say in the letter because, you know, this is a fact that a lot of people might not know that a lot of deaths were registered as cancer or as pneumonia and spoken about as that within the home. People mm. would say, my son has died of cancer, went too afraid to say that he died of AIDS. And I'm not here to tell those people off. Mm. It's, it's, you've suffered a terrible loss. Of course you do the wrong things or things you need to do to survive. Of course you do that. Oh, well, I'm not going to lecture you on how you handle your son's death for god's sake mm. but all that so you know i, I met this uh, parent a couple of years ago and uh, the conversation was so stilted and awkward and I, oh i wish both of us had just opened up but we kept the same old lies and the same old compromises and falsehoods going after 30 years extraordinary mm. um yeah that's why i said there's a lot of anger about this that then creates an awful lot of anger Mm. And, you know, people are angry at the government, they're angry at the system, they're angry at medicine, they're angry at big pharma, but they're angry with themselves as well because of all the things we should have said and done, which is human nature. Yeah. And it's it's got to be we're coming to terms with that. Otherwise, you'll never sleep. Yeah, and I think as well, like, you know, it's really funny. We were just talking about your husband and rolling his eyes. And I think <laughs> when when my dad was dying and was very ill for a very long time in a hospital bed at home, yeah. And I used to see him do things a bit like the rolling of the eyes. And I actually think, I remember saying when he first got ill, that I said, listen, I think what, do whatever you want to do, dad. Like if you want to go around the world with mum, like just do it. Let's just yeah. do whatever you want to do. And I sp spoke to my friend's mum, who's like just a really wise, wonderful woman. And she said, do you know what, Chris, like he's not going to want to do that. Because actually all you crave when you're really ill is normality. You just want mm. the usual stuff. And after she said that yes. to me, it really stayed with me because I noticed That's very true. that he really enjoyed doing things that were like his old self. I remember once he had this scarf, he'd been given this scarf. I can't remember why. Anyway, he said he was really weak on his bed. Like he could hardly speak. And he was like, come here. And I was like, what? And he was like, put the scarf on my head. So I put the scarf over his head and he was like, let's see if mum notices when she comes in. And he was having a little joke and mum came in and she didn't really acknowledge the scarf because we all just sort of treated him with such kid gloves, you know, that it was like, oh, if he's got a scarf on his head, let's not even bother. And, he, and then she left and he just gave me this wink. And I was like, I think in a way there was probably, a, I don't know, and it's speculation, but it's just there's a comfort in a normality about being able to roll yeah, his yeah, eyes yeah. at you, you know, and it's actually like, yes, you know, yes. It's also, I remember the greatest advice I had about being with the dying is that it's not about you. It's about that you come to it loaded with, I must say this, I must do that. I must tell them how much I love them. I must, I must read that book to them that, that, that they always loved, that, yeah. that I was meant to show them. And, and, and these extraordinary things I've got planned and said, so it doesn't matter what your plans are. They just want to, 
um, watch MasterChef and look out the window. <laughs> and that's actually far more important to them. That's them. It's all about them. Well, because it becomes performative, doesn't it? It's like, let's read a book. Yeah. And there are there are moments <laughs> yeah. of this in your show, you know, of like, let's, let's yes. read it, you know. And, and actually, like, that was such a beautifully acute observation. And, and I think that it's true. Like, because when my dad was ill, I used to just go and sit next to him on the bed. Mm. Before he had a hospital bed, yeah. he had a double bed. I used to just go and sit next to him and I would work next to him. And he was, he just oh, liked nice. just having that's someone around nice. rather than me being, cause it's actually really tiring yeah. to talk when you're ill as well. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, God, yes, I, I just was there. Yeah. And, um, everyone wants a conversation. Yeah. You, you beautifully kind of observed those moments in the show as well Thank of, you. of family dynamic and the unsaid. Yeah, some tough moments in, but there's some beautiful moments in. There's not, there were good families and bad families. That's what I wanted to do. That's why I wanted to, pick a range of characters mm. and the passing of many years was to show the different form. It's a, it's a, it's a bastard of an illness. It takes many forms. Mm. You can die in many ways. And, and it's very important. I have to keep saying you don't die of it now. And not everyone died of it then. Yes. Um, but, but my God, there were a lot of deaths and, mm. and this show tries to show that without being exhausting, I think, and without being hard work to watch that cast makes it a joy to watch at all times that's what i love about them. it's it's a complete i don't know like it, it's almost like i'm trying to sound like i'm selling it but it's like you anyone listening <laughs> you just will fucking watch it in one go you just will because you just will actually it works in one go it is all being dropped as one lump on uh as a box set on onto all four and it actually does because it's not it's not particularly plot driven there are no cliffhangers there are no, there are no reveals mm. no one's there in disguise this is, there's no murders um it's not a tv drama in that sense it's about the passing of 10 years mm. and actually that's a very good experience in one chunk it's five episodes but that's it'll take you about four hours to watch mm. you could start at nine o'clock finish at one o'clock i think that's a good night's viewing tough though actually i'd recommend watching the first three then the last two separately. There's a nice natural break. In there. But it, it feels like it fits into the pantheon of, um, you can pay me later for this, feels like it fits into the pantheon of normal people, you know, which wasn't about these big hooks, you oh, know, it was these beautiful... I will pay you for that, yeah. It was these yeah, yeah. Yes, that's true, it's life. Life, life, life yeah. with emotion and moments and, you know, like the cliffhanger mm. in, a, in an episode of Normal People was that he texted you know what I mean? And you're like, yeah. I've got to watch the next one. You Wasn't know? that gorgeous? Make more, make more, I say. But do you, I want to talk a bit about the lost, the generation lost to AIDS and if you feel there is an effect on that and what that is. Yeah, people might hate me for this, but it's not a generation lost. I think a lot of people say that. Mm. An awful lot of us survived, actually. Mm. Most people didn't get AIDS and die. Because of course so many lives were lost. I'm just hearing it said a lot lately that, that younger people say, it's an entire generation lost yeah, yeah. and I will never, you know, it's a big Instagram post at the moment. I will never receive the wisdom and the mentorship and, and the knowledge of those people. It's like, yes, you will. I'm still here. And my, <laughs> most people my age are still here. It's not arguing about the right thing to say it's a generation yes, lost. Yeah, yeah. I think we also fall into that trap of, of, of saying, you know, so many lives were lost, you know, they could have been doctors. That, you know, the person who could discover the cure for cancer might have been lost in that period. May be true, but actually, that I wanted to calm that down. In it's a sin. That's why the, these, the characters in it's a sin are 
unemployed actors and one of them's a builder and one of them's a supply teacher and one of them's in the chorus at the West End. I wanted to make them really ordinary lives because they are just as important. Yes. They are every bit as important as someone who might have discovered the cure for cancer. It's mm. it's like it's it's if you just spend your life being lovely to your friends and having a laugh with them on a Friday night and a pizza and a beer, that's a life well lived and you're nice to your mum. Yes. That's fine. You're a good lover, you're a good father. That's enough. You don't have to have discovered medical breakthroughs. Mm. And um, so I wanted to unromanticize the losses and just make them really, really ordinary. They're so fantastically ordinary. Richie becomes an actor in 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 the show. He's never a lead actor. He gets little bit parts in Doctor Who. Mm, he gets to be I love that for the Whovians, the Doctor Who cameo is hysterical. Oh my god, it's irresistible, isn't it? And um, you know, he gets he gets one West End success, but even that is even that's in Hay Fever, where the sun the sun isn't the lead part. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's like he's not that big an actor. So I just want to calm that down to sort of say. Well, it's, I suppose it's a, a case of, um, it's, it's removing some tragedy and putting it in the right place. Yes. Almost. Yes. It, because I feel bad saying this because anyone who's saying it's a generation lost to eight has got a really good heart mm. and is saying it for lovely reasons. And, and, and my God, there are losses we should mourn. And yet you've got to, you've got to get the balance in there as well. Yeah. So, Actually, you know, a lot of people with HIV survived. There's an awful lot of people yes. with HIV who contracted HIV in the 80s and 90s who are still with us. I suppose it's like a byproduct of trying to make people understand who don't seem to understand. Yeah, you know the erase the erasure thing. I think maybe it's it's that. But do do you it think is. that young queer people forget what? AIDS was, does it matter? Well, we do, just as in the way you and I have never stood and given a minute's silence for the 5% of the world's population that died in 1918 from the Spanish flu. We don't do that with illnesses. We move on. We've, I think it's part of that human survival instinct, again, that just says, thank you. We were ill. Goodbye. We move on. It's not entirely a homophobic reaction mm. to just turn your back on something in... 20, 30 years' time, there'll be people having debates saying, why don't we have a holiday dedicated to everyone who died from COVID-19? Why don't we have a two-minute silence on March the 23rd every year when the first lockdown started? And we probably won't. No. Because you don't do it for illnesses. You don't. No. It's part of our, part of our instinct is to just move on. Move. I mean, you get taught about the 1918 flu. I actually, I wasn't even taught about the 1918 flu in school. I wasn't taught about that. Just taught about World War One. It's only in your twenties and your thirties you discover five percent of the world's population is mm. they died doing that. It's, it's, it was an astonishing virus. That thing. Yeah. Really astonishing. Um, and we should be taught about it because if we were taught more about that, we'd as a society we'd have been more ready for this one. Yes. Um, and more ready for the HIV virus. So you know we should be, but. You know, now it's very tempting now in COVID times we'll say we'll never be caught out like this again. All the protocols will be in place for the next, uh, for the rest of mankind. And um, no, they won't. 20, 30 years time, all the PPE will have gathered dust. Yeah. Um, they'll have had meetings in parliament saying, let's burn it because we don't need that anymore. That was a long time ago. Yeah. It would have been forgotten and we'll go through exactly the same thing again. Yes. Through neglect. Yeah. Weird. We're strange people. Well, yes. <laughs> and it, have you seen this thing gaze over COVID? Well, what is that? I've seen it, but looked away. This Instagram account called Gaze Over COVID has been set up that is trying to call out a lot of gay men who are going and gathering in large groups and on holiday. Oh, so Gaze Over COVID is critical of that? Yes. 
It's not them saying hooray. It, no. Right, gotcha, gotcha. No, and it's sort of calling out, and it's been a bit of a kind of slightly vigilanteism of like naming and shaming people and all the rest of it. But it reminded me of some of the elements of COVID, and it's a sin because the kind of naming and shaming and calling out and judging other people's actions. And actually, someone posted this one comment about it, which I thought was fascinating, which was please don't single out the gay men who are gathering and spreading covid because everybody mm. is doing that lots of people are breaking the yeah, rules and there is there is a, a link between gay men and viruses being spread that kind of plays into the hands yeah. and i thought that was yep, yep, yep. something i really hadn't that's about. interesting yes 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 equally i can't blame anyone who's been stuck in a flat with no garden and no yard for a year now yeah. getting furious and lashing out to people like that. I get cross when I'm walking along Swansea Seafront and there's a family walking five abreast. Mm. And I'm getting close. If you find me murdered on Swansea Seafront, it's because I, I explained to the police, I finally snapped. And they set their dogs on me and I was eaten alive. <laughs> because it's like, I am close to sort of saying, why are you walking five abreast? Yes. Like, yes, yes. Get out of the way. Like that. So I, I equally understand people who are losing their temper with people. Mm. Yeah, they're being judgmental. But, you know, my God, sometimes I think we're asking for a world that we're not judgmental about anything. We exist on judgment. We thrive on it. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a judgment gets you through the day. Judgment saves you from dark corners and bad dogs and, and, and terrible weather. It's, it's <laughs> judge everything all the time. So, you know, it's yeah. like, thank you for sitting there piously online with your, with your Instagram feed saying, don't judge anyone. Good luck with that then. Meet the human race. It's over here. <laughs> very, very true. Russell, I think that's a beautiful time to finish what has been such a, We'll have judged chat. the whole human race as as, as evil. <laughs> when oh we yeah we're we're not there yet. We'll soon get to the when we've completed judging the entire human race. But in, <laughs> until then, everybody's got to watch your show because it's just the most rewarding experience that I've had, and it stayed with me. It's beautiful, and if we don't have people like you making these things, then more people won't make them. We won't have more of this beautiful stories. And so, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh. Chris, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, no, honestly. I'm going to go and tune back into Gaze Over COVID now. <laughs> you find me there. I'll be like this. Yeah. I'll be on a surfboard that, like this. Is that Russell <laughs> on a boat in Puerto Vallarta? Imagine. Topless with a pina colada in his hand. <laughs> what a lovely chat i'm so pleased we got to talk about so many parts of it in depth without hopefully giving away any spoilers you know i felt quite proud of myself for that but um he's such a wonderfully honest man russell who gets to the heart of everything and this show certainly delivers that as well so i would implore you to go and look it up either watch it on channel four or you can binge the whole box set on all four i would recommend doing one and then the other do them both it's an extraordinary show you're gonna love it and i'm so pleased you got to chat to russell about it so um i'm gonna go back to staring out the window at um all the other people who are free outside while i'm stuck in a hotel room sound good i think so lots of love listeners powered by spirit studios